0: Hello, and welcome to Hudson Institute. It's my pleasure to welcome today to the Institute Ambassador Tomas Poyar, the National Security Advisor of the Government of the Czech Republic. Uh, And I'll begin right away by complimenting you, Mr. Ambassador, for uh, your countrymen's selection of head of government and head of state, because they have wonderful first names, Peter. My name is Peter Rao, which would be the English equivalent of that. And I am part of a team working on Europe issues here at Hudson. Uh, Ambassador Poyar hails from a country known for uh, high-minded intellectuals who have made the transition to the practice of foreign policy, one thinks back to Vaclav Havel and Vaclav Klaus. He's very much so in that tradition as an academic turned a foreign policy hand, having uh, served in very high-level positions in the Czech Ministry of Foreign Affairs. Most recently, prior to becoming National Security Advisor, he was, uh, very interestingly for today's discussion, ambassador to Israel. He also served as deputy minister for security and EU affairs, as well as bilateral relations to individual European Union countries in the Czech ministry. Uh, He studied at the famed Charles University in Prague and also at IDC Herzliya, known now as Reichman uh, University, where he focused on counterterrorism issues, and uh, is a great friend of Hudson Institute's. And it's a real pleasure to have you here today. Thank you, Mr. Ambassador, for taking the time. Thank you very much. Always a pleasure to be here. What's well, hard to avoid, given that Washington's focus is riveted on the Middle East, that topic to begin with. The president just announced last night that he'd be traveling to uh, Israel tomorrow. Secretary Blinken held a meeting with the Israeli War Cabinet that I think will go down in the annals of history as really a major moment. Over seven and a half hours of talks with the Israelis. He, of course, is in Israel and has been spending time traveling the region. Uh, as the national security advisor to the Czech prime minister, Uh, which I would add is also a newly codified position in the Czech system. What was your first reaction when you heard about the attacks in Israel, and how is the Czech government processing the events unfolding there now?
1: Well, uh, on one hand, it was a shock. uh, uh, Not so unsurprising, because it's very clear what the the nature of Hamas and Hezbollah and Islamic Jihad of those groups uh, uh, is and what their intentions are. uh, but of course, we didn't expect it. Uh, but there was a, a, a unanimous condemnation of what has happened uh, uh, so, and unanimously calling terrorists terrorists, which is uh, still sometimes somewhere in some. Parts of the world are unique, and uh, there I think the Czech uh, public as well as Czech political scene is uh, uh, government and the opposition is uh, quite united uh, uh, behind Israel and supportive of Israel, as it has been the case for the last 30 years. So we've been one of the most... uh, uh, pro-Israeli countries or, or uh, countries which and societies which have been feeling close with uh, Israelis and their fight for uh, and struggle for uh, uh, freedom and safety and security. And, uh, and uh, I think this has only fortified that.
0: I think there is a special connection between Central and Eastern European countries and the Czech Republic in particular with Israel, perhaps because of the large diaspora that has made Aliyah to Israel over the years, perhaps because... The Czech public uh, views Zionism as a form of Israeli nationalism, which they can understand. And there doesn't seem to be the same sort of borderline, if not outright, anti-Semitic protests that we see in other parts of Europe, in Central and Eastern Europe. What's that special relationship um, like, and how are we to understand it? I don't know if it's that much made
1: because of, or that much close, because of diaspora, because mm. the Czech diaspora has never been very se- strong in Israel. Mm. If, uh, uh, most of the Czech Jews were slaughtered during the Second World War, so if, uh, if, uh, there was not that much uh, immigration mm. to Israel. Uh, but uh, I think... Uh, think we have been close to each other in the past. And it was also, we can see that over the centuries, I would say, or at least the last two centuries, that the level of anti-Semitism in Czech society was always the lowest in Europe, and especially in Central Europe. And so there was some kind of affinity between Czechs and Jews. And we did see ourselves maybe similarly as victims of oppressors and victims of German oppression and others. uh, And I think the closeness comes from that. And also there is a tradition uh, of... uh, Czech support uh, to Israel. It was uh, founder of Czechoslovakia, Tomáš Garik-Masaryk, who visited Yishuv at that time before the existence of Israel in 1927, and he was the only, the first statesman of the world to visit. Uh, and from that, there is this tradition of warm relations, which was, of course, broken during the communist times and uh, uh, by the Soviet rule and Soviet regime, but uh, it got back immediately after 1989. And uh, it has... Uh, uh, and again, it's, it's got, uh, you would say here, bipartisan support, but it's like multi-partisan support across the Czech society, very solid in the last uh, three decades. So we have been standing behind Israel, and we will continue to uh, do so in the future.
0: Your prime minister has uh, uh, publicly floated the idea of making relations even warmer by uh, moving the embassy to Jerusalem. Our board chair, Sarah Stern, uh, I remember when the Americans took that decision, she was... Uh, at that ceremony, Twitter nice pictures from the embassy move. I can promise Sarah Stern will be at the Czech event yep. as well if you move it to Jerusalem. Any announcement you want to make here in Washington?
1: Uh, no announcements, but I hope that we are uh, we are approaching the situation that we will uh, be uh, there will be a decision to do it. Uh, by the way, the, the Czech Parliament voted unanimously. 162 uh, to um, to zero uh, uh, in support of moving embassy to Jerusalem once once the time is appropriate, okay? So, of course... it should bring more good and, uh, and no more damage. As, uh, and we should not view it only in the uh, lens or through Czech-Israeli relations, but in, in a broader perspective. Uh, uh, but de facto, we've been, uh, we've been recognizing Jerusalem as capital of Israel as, uh, uh, in, in the past and now. And I think that there should be time to do it. De jure. But uh, let's see when the decision will come and, uh, and,
0: uh, and when it's going to be done. Okay, well, stay tuned. Uh, The major news, I think, uh, of real significant strategic importance in the bilateral relationship between the US and the Czech Republic is your recent announcement to acquire 24 F-35s at, a I think, market value of around $6.5 the biggest purchase by a Czech government in its history. Can you talk about the significance of that, what led to the decision, and what it pretends for the future of Czech national security?
1: Well, I don't know what the market value is. Uh, the real value is, fortunately, a little bit lower than okay. the market value we mentioned. <laughs> but uh, yes, it's a significant investment. And uh, uh, I think that we, th- we can thank uh, uh, indirectly to to Mr. Putin for invasion of Ukraine, because it has really uh, uh, got us back, and not only Czechs, but others in Europe, uh, back into census and into more investment into defense. Uh, And uh, we've started to say from the day one of the invasion that we should uh Uh, take it as an opportunity also uh, opportunity for improving our defense capabilities opportunity for uh, uh, deepening our relations with our key strategic uh, partners and allies uh, working on joint projects and uh, this is one of the projects uh, 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 so the decision was uh, made uh, now uh, uh, we will see uh, how fast the agreement will be signed but uh, uh, as we have been modernizing our air force uh, our helicopter fleet with Americans uh, already uh, for several years now we are switching also into the fifth generation fighter jets and uh, and uh, f- and going into two percent of GDP next year by law uh, f- uh, f- uh, signing and uh, and uh, uh, having now effective the uh, defense cooperation agreement with us right. uh, f- uh, but we are working with others as well and and, uh, and I think that uh, uh, as enemies do unite, uh, Putin has united us, and we, uh, we must thank him for that.
0: And he's united us um, over Ukraine, of course. Uh, your embassy has produced this very snappy a fact sheet on Czech support to Ukraine, uh, <clears throat> which um, none of which is secret, so I'm not spilling any secrets here. But uh, since February of 2022, of course, when the full-scale invasion took place, the Czechs have donated... Material and the organized shipments of arms to Ukraine uh, at around 2.2 billion. Export license around 4.32 billion. Uh, Describe a little bit um, Czech strategy when it comes to the war in Ukraine and how you're working with us and our European and other partners on conflict.
1: Well, the core of the strategy is that, uh, as we have always seen, the further the Russia is from us, the better. Uh, So uh, (laughs) we must support Ukrainians to keep Russians as far as possible. Uh, f, uh, and of course, we must support Ukrainians uh, because if uh, if they would fail and if Ukraine would fall and if it would be o- occupied, as was the original idea of Putin, then uh, we would have uh, again Soviet Union recreated on the border of Slovakia, uh, so which is much closer to us. And uh, and we should not uh, uh, we should take seriously what uh, Russians have been saying uh, in the last uh, couple of years uh, f, uh, and what they are saying now that they want to go. Uh, uh, to, uh, prior to 1997 regarding the architecture in Europe, uh, which basically mean uh, that in a way they go back to Ribbentrop-Molotov a little bit shifted, uh, that the only, uh, the only, uh, 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 they only accept the enlargement of NATO by East Germany. Uh, in this, uh, so, so they are on purpose saying not going beyond or before prior to 89, but going prior to 97, which excludes East Germany. So they understand that it's uh, Germany is unified, uh, but the rest should be uh, put into reverse, and uh, f- uh, and uh, from that uh, our key strategy is and uh, and we have been the first country uh, to supply uh, Ukraine with uh, tanks artillery, uh, MLRS systems, and attack helicopters, uh, first from the world. The first shipments uh, of rocket systems came uh, uh, less than two weeks after the outbreak of invasion. And uh, together with many partners, uh, uh, as it's uh, uh, listed with uh, American, British, Dutch, and Danish mostly, Mm -hmm. uh, but with many others, uh, we have succeeded in sending through our uh, system uh, Every year from the day one of the war, and now there is day 600, uh, at least one piece of heavy equipment, so at least one tank, one attack helicopter, one MLRS system, one infantry fighting vehicle, uh, 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 and every day almost 15,000 rounds of uh, mid and large caliber ammunition. Uh, Almost nine million tons, nine million rounds uh, up to today. So I think it, uh, uh, and without uh, international cooperation, without cooperation with countries which I have named, but with many other countries, uh, and uh, uh, and without deep cooperation on those shipments, uh, it would not be possible. Uh, But it has uh, uh, it has opened us uh, uh, really new. Avenues of thinking how we can cooperate with others and how to work with others to our mutual benefit. And, um, and I think that those people who are working in the system and who are working there together, uh, so then they will remember it for their life and those bonds will not be broken and they are there. So it's an investment into the, into the future. Uh, but the, ro- the war is, has been already long and it will be long. Uh, it will be longer. It's not ending now. Uh, so we are there for uh, for long, and uh, and we have to think really in, in in perspective of next not next weeks and months, but of next years, uh, and we have to continue supplying uh, Ukraine with arms uh, uh, in support of their defence, regardless if ceasefire is reached or not, or once ceasefire is reached, or once the fighting ceases. Uh, uh, because uh, it will be needed uh, uh, even after uh, uh, after that, because we must keep Ukraine strong, uh, uh, and, uh, and we must not give uh, uh, Russians an impression that they, they can restart the war uh, uh, rather sooner than later. Do you
0: see any evidence of a push for a ceasefire?
1: Uh, not now. I don't think we are there yet. Uh, so, and I don't know where we are going to be there yet, and I think we should not be pushing from outside, so. Uh, It must be up to Ukrainians uh, uh, and at the end up to Ukrainians and Russians to decide. uh, And we must give all the backing to Ukrainians uh, uh, because if it would be pushed from outside, it wouldn't work and it wouldn't last and it would weaken Ukraine. So it would not be in our benefit. uh, uh, But at the end, uh, as uh, most conflicts are uh, not endless, so they do end. uh, uh, I don't mean in peace treaties. Peace treaties may be decades uh, far from uh, today and generations far from now. Uh, But really, the fighting or the magnitude of fighting as we do see it, uh, uh, it's not sustainable probably for many, many years. Uh, so we have to be ready for that moment, uh, uh, and uh, and we have to be ready for supporting uh, Ukraine if it gets into the what I call the Konrad Adenauer moment uh, of uh, focusing on the western part of Ukraine as large as possible, as uh, so the free part of Ukraine. Uh, to build their state, uh, so to support their economy, to build their defense forces, uh, and uh, eventually to uh, unite and reunite with uh, with uh, so with the rest, which they will not be able to uh, oh. to liberate uh, liberate now. Uh, but we have to have this. Uh, we have to give this backing to Ukraine, uh, so, and uh, we have to get that part of the free part of Ukraine, uh, so, and again as large as possible. Uh, so, Uh, uh, get it European perspective and get it integrated into the European economy and into the European Union and and NATO uh, as much as possible, because it is to our benefit. At the end, uh, Ukrainians are fighting there on our behalf. uh, And uh, and if they were not fighting, uh, then the front line would be much closer to us.
0: Well, as you said, most wars do end. They tend to end either in victory or defeat more often than some sort of uh, negotiated off ramp, at least historically, empirically, I think that's true. Do you think Ukraine's on the on the pathway to victory right now? Or uh, it sounds like the scenario you're describing is they make some gains and then at some point there is a occupied east and a free west uh, of Ukraine.
1: I think it depends how you define victory. And it's up to Ukrainians to define victory for themselves. So I don't want to define it for themselves. Uh, for us Czechs, mm-hmm. The victory is that the original Putin's idea, occupy and reunite uh, so reconquer, let's say, whole of Ukraine into uh, and reintegrate it into the Russian Empire, Soviet Empire, as you name it, that it is not, this is not achieved. Uh, f- uh, so f- uh, for us, everything is victory but uh, Russian soldiers uh, on the border of
0: Slovakia. What have you heard from your conversations with American officials and, uh, and interlocutors here in Washington since you've arrived about our, uh, our stamina on Ukraine and, and our path going forward? Are you worried at all? I mean, some Europeans do come to Washington and worry that, uh, that uh, uh, given the imbroglio that is the speaker's race in the House and um, some disenchantment with spending more money on Ukraine, that America is not going to be there in the long run. Do you share that concern? or? Are you more or less confident, based on your conversations, that the U.S. can continue to be the cornerstone ally in the coalition?
1: I am more or less confident, and I hope that U.S. can be like firm where it has been and showing uh, leadership which uh, uh, nobody else can take uh, or can replace, uh, and leadership which we have seen basically from the beginning of the war, and if not from the day one, then very soon uh, and very helpful uh, for the next year. Uh, but I, of course, don't know what's going to happen here with the elections and after the elections. So there I don't have the crystal ball and I don't want to judge it. Uh, but I am uh, so modestly optimistic regarding the next 12 months. Uh, uh, and uh, I also uh, uh, must repeat that the U.S. leadership is indispensable because without U.S. leadership, uh, Europeans would have uh, be Europeans would have much much more difficult time to uh, to 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 back up Ukraine as uh, as much as it's it's necessary and as much as possible. Uh, At the same time, I can uh, tell to everyone here in D.C. that I think that uh, if there is going to be the U.S. leadership, then uh, Europeans will follow. So it's not going to be that uh, Europeans would give up uh, uh, if you would be on the right side uh, still. So so we have to work together uh, and uh, we have to see other options. What would happen if we would not be working together? What would happen if uh, if, uh, Russia is successful? Uh, and what other costs in the future it would bring, and uh, uh, meaning uh, economic costs, but of course human costs, and they would be tremendous. Uh, Russia is an empire. It thinks like an empire. Uh, all empires uh, of this type must uh, expand or must try to expand. Uh, uh, and with success, the appetite only grows. So if, uh, if uh, the Russians and Russia would not stop, and uh, Russia is saying that openly. So we should listen to Russians, what they are saying. We should listen to Russian leadership. We should look into the Russian textbooks, uh, what is in the textbooks. And we should uh, look what is happening on the streets. And uh, one of the statues, uh, statues which is going up now is statue uh, right. of, of Stalin. Uh, so if, and I think this is the manifestation. And you have seen many statues of Stalin uh, being uh, erected now across Russia of uh, uh, and uh, I think this uh, shows a lot about uh, the society and about the leadership. And uh, and uh, to put up a statue of Stalin, it's a political statement and a vision and a goal for the future. It's not a
0: historical. Uh, it's not a historical mark. We have a soft spot for Georgians at Hudson Institute, and my <laughs> colleague Luke Coffey is uh, almost a minor celebrity in Georgia because he's worked on it for so long. But that's one Georgian who were a bit less fond of uh, here at Hudson Institute. So I, I can imagine uh, walking into uh, the National Security Council or the Pentagon or Capitol Hill, or <laughs> whomever you're meeting with here in Washington, that uh, uh, the war in the Middle East, the the looming ground incursion, which the Israelis seem to have telegraphed, um, as well as the war in Ukraine, are files one and two in your conversations. But perhaps you could fill out a bit what some area, other areas are in the bilateral relationship that are very important to you, in which some of our viewers at home uh, who follow uh, foreign policy uh, at the margins might not be uh, so aware of?
1: Well, on the bilateral, it's uh, definitely about Ukraine, Russia, and about Middle East now, uh, but uh, and what we can do together and how we can strengthen each other. Uh, it's very much about defense cooperation, uh, we have already discussed. Uh, but it's also about economic cooperation. Listen, there are a lot of investments, a lot of Czech investments into American economy. In the last uh, months, uh, it's been billions of dollars. Uh, yesterday, one of the Czech companies announced uh, uh, that they have uh, signed a deal to buy the uh, uh, ammunition part uh, of uh, vista outdoor no. uh, f- Uh, another Czech company recently bought American Colt Uh, uh, there have been investment into the energy here, Uh, there have been investment into the real estate, so the major Czech companies and major Czech groups are investing on this side of the Atlantic Uh, we of course like to have a boost of investments from this side of Atlantic uh, into Central Europe and meaning into Czech Republic uh, but uh, basically broader in the Central Europe because uh, Czech Republic is tiny and landlocked country. so if there is an investment into the neighborhood it also has uh, effects on our economy uh, uh, because we think it's the solid, uh, solid, stable part of, uh, of Europe. So a lot of focus is on on uh, economy and uh, and uh, on investments and uh, and investments into and uh, where the government then stands in it in, into f, uh, into supporting investments into defence oh. uh, and uh, supporting cooperation of uh, various different companies. So for the F-35s, uh, uh, there are. Not now, 15 projects linked to the F-35 f- 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 procurement, which are based, which are about the industrial cooperation. Uh, f- uh, uh, and uh, f, uh, so the same goes with the Bell helicopters and the industrial cooperation oh. there so we are trying to expand it and we are trying to f, uh, to get it uh, done and it's not only to be a sub supplier but also into R&D uh, and, and, and uh, we have some successes and it works so we hope that we will get more successes and there will be more and see, we see hope you. That, yeah. that all the uh, Rithons and Logitech Martins and all those giants uh, will see that there is an opportunity and potential
0: in Czech Republic, before we buy them, of course. <laughs> <laughs> um, at Hudson Institute, like, like many of our sister organizations here in Washington, we've put more and more resources into Indo-Pacific affairs. My colleague and your friend Ken Weinstein has joined us here today. He leads our, our Japan operation as the Japan chair. Miles, Yu has launched a China center here. He was a former State Department policy planning official and teaches in Annapolis at the Naval Academy. Uh, Patrick Cronin, a well-known think tanker in Washington, is our Asia-Pacific security chair. We have a colleague sitting in in Sydney uh, who works uh, on Australian issues. He was the advisor to Julie Bishop when she was the foreign minister. The point is, we've really ratcheted up our work there. And the Czech Republic has also made some headlines, uh, might I say, in recent years on its China policy in particular. Could you sketch out the trajectory of of, of your country's uh, views on China um, and how the engagement with China is going. There was just an important meeting that the Chinese hosted uh, on, on the Central Eastern Europe Plus format, which um, has made a bit of news as well, where the Czech Republic sees itself there, and just generally on, on that region.
1: I think we want to have, a f- have fair, open, and constructive relations with China. Uh, f- uh... Uh, And uh, we are starting and we are having some, uh, 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 I think after years, uh, good dialogue uh, uh, with China. Uh, uh, And uh, I think if we are open and sincere, uh, then the Chinese are also open and sincere. That has been at least my uh, experience uh, in the last years. uh, and But we have to be open in protecting our critical infrastructure, uh, and we have to speak openly with uh, with chinese uh, uh, and we have to uh, work on uh, on uh, let 's say spreading the risk uh, regarding the dependence on uh, individual countries and individual sources of uh, of technologies etc so it 's not only about China but because China is so huge then right. it 's a lot about China. Uh, And that's why we are trying to diversify our trade uh, 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 um, and our exports uh, and imports uh, 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 regarding the the overall Indo-Pacific region. So I accompanied Prime Minister uh, for his trip among uh, around uh, uh, six uh, uh, Indo-Pacific and then two Central Asian countries uh, and we have talked mostly about uh, f- uh, about uh, f- uh, strategic comp- cooperation in the raw materials and in some components. And ba- but basically, it's about spreading the uh, spreading the risk of in this uh, uh, globalized world, which is uh, shaky. The Europeans have. I remember going to Brussels 15, 20 years ago, and everyone there, or most of the people there around the table, were dreaming about a multipolar world uh, so getting out of this like unipolar US-driven uh, world. Uh, so they have it now. It's uh, They said it would be more democratic. So I'm not sure if this is more democratic. In a way, yes. Uh, it's definitely more chaotic. Uh, and, uh, and it's definitely more multipolar. And it's going to be uh, continuing in this direction, most likely. Uh, so we have to get ready for that. Uh, so and uh, and uh, we have to adjust uh, as uh, as much as possible and as better as possible. Uh, so but at the same time uh, yes, uh, my discussions here are also about uh, f- about uh, Asia uh, f- uh, f- uh, but uh, the war which is really uh, really important uh, for us it's uh, it's Ukraine and then of course the situation in the Middle East but a lot of our discussions are and have been in the past uh, and open discussions are about the Chinese Russian with Chinese about the Chinese Russian relationship and about Chinese support to Russia and how we view it and, and how What we is people.
0: that relationship? How would you describe it?
1: Well, I think that the Chinese are on one hand the... Uh, they could have been supporting Russians more uh, economically, but also more uh, in terms of lethal supplies, uh, mm-hmm. arms supplies, etc. So they have uh, fortunately not been uh, opening gates of those supplies, but at the same time they are supplying uh, quite critical uh, dual-use material or dual-use components uh, to Russians that the Russians are able to fight better and uh, and that we do see uh, a lot of Chinese technologies on those missiles which are uh, which are uh, being shot at the Ukrainian cities and killing uh, Ukrainian uh, civilians uh, and targeting Ukrainian towns. So I think that we should uh, really continue the discussion and open discussion and frank discussion with Chinese. And and, uh, I have done that and I will continue to do that. I'm ready to listen to their arguments. But at the same time, I was uh, born under the Soviet occupation and I don't want to fall under the Soviet occupation anymore.
0: Yeah, and whoever
1: is and by the way whoever is in my eyes uh, whoever is helping the the that uh, Soviet occupation then
0: is uh, uh, on the other side of uh, of uh, the world I would like to see it unfortunately as uh, Chan Kaapalu uh, one of our in-house military analysts who produces a weekly military situation report has shown that includes a lot of American companies which have provided electronic parts that find their way into into Russian uh, military kit, and I think we have a bit of work to do to shut down some of the sanctions evasion on dual-use items. From the Chinese, it might be a bit more overt, on the quadcopters, uh, among other items. But um, there's some leakage, it seems, in the sanctions regime as well.
1: Well, there are leakages on the sanctions regimes uh, regime everywhere, and it's yeah. not only leakages uh, regarding China. It's leakages also from Europe and from US, and we do see it, so we have to go. The, the sanctions it's, uh, are very complicated. Uh, so there is no other way than go, than improve the sanctions. But the other side is also improving and innovating. So we must be also innovative. And uh, with the sanctioned regimes, you have to be non-stop uh, looking into the loopholes and, and how to seal them. So i I and I so I just want to say that this is not uh, purely about China and not only about right. China. It's about the whole world, uh, and how to get something from one side of the globe to the other, you can use many countries and many channels, and, uh, and you can have uh, those who are involved uh, and very much know what is going on, and those who are involved and do not know what is going on. So, so uh, uh, but again, this is also for discussion with, uh, with, uh, with uh, uh,
0: Chinese, but not only Chinese. There seems to be, well, quite a few ta- camps on the sanctions front, but one delineation would be between those who say, as you put it, we need to seal the loopholes. Another camp is that we need to fundamentally ratchet up the sanctions themselves, look again at the price cap and whether or not it's been an effective tool. Would you put yourself and your government in one or the other camps, or how would you describe that?
1: I have no problems with squeezing the price cap or like yeah. making it, again, functional. Uh, but we have to always look into the sanctions. And we've been always supporting sanctions and robust sanctions, et cetera. Right. But at the same time, I think we have to always look uh, if the particular sanctions are going to do... More harm to Russians than to us. Okay, right. so when there have been some proposals or some sanctions, which at the end I think would do more harm to us and less to Russians, uh, one of the files is the nuclear file and uh, send Rosatom, etc. And I uh, and we've been always saying, listen, let's uh, let's think what it would mean if uh, Rosatom is sanctioned, and uh, and many countries would have to. Uh, uh, Shut down their nuclear plants. Uh, yes, uh, would it uh, bring more support for Ukrainians? Uh, would it be better politically to sustain uh, the war and the crisis and uh, and the long-term fight and long-term support of Ukrainians, or would it backfire? So we have to look into it like uh, very practically, and uh, and uh, f- and it's also changing over the time. So we have to see. Uh, what hits Russians more than us uh, and we have to be we have to understand um, the situ- situation in different parts of the world and different countries and uh, and we should not put uh, anyone against the wall because then again it would backfire it, what, what is really important is to keep the unity and especially in the EU we must have unity first, uh, in NATO as well uh, but there has to be an agreement of uh, all the 27 for the sanctions right. uh, otherwise it would not work so we uh, have to be uh, smart and open, and among ourselves, also, uh, what kind of sanctions are there for today, and what are there in the future, and, and where we where we are heading to, and we should look long term. Also, at the same time, we should not fall into the trap saying that sanctions will solve it. Uh, sanctions don't solve the problems. Uh, sanctions are for weakening of the other side, for gaining for us like more. Space than to the other side, uh, but they are always long-term, and so they can be always uh, uh, misused at the end. Uh, and they are not uh, the silver bullet solution. Silver bullet solutions don't exist, and the sanctions are never a silver bullet solution. So, uh, so, so, uh, yes, sanctions are one part of uh, the struggle, and and uh, and uh, one part of the equation. Toolkit. But it's not <clears throat> a toolkit. But yeah. uh, but it's not uh, uh, it's not s- something which we should. Uh, hide behind and uh, and and hope that this is going to solve it. It's not going to solve it. Uh,
0: if I didn't ask about the specific Central and Eastern European region, my, my colleague, senior fellow, Matt Boyce, would scold me because uh, <laughs> he knows more about this area than, than uh, th- he's forgotten more about this than I'll ever know. So uh, you've had a series of elections in the Visegrad states. Uh, it began with uh, I believe the Hungarians, then you all had elections. The Slovaks, now the Poles, voted over the weekend. So we have um, at least some, um, some clarity because there will not be any elections in the coming months at the national level in any of those four countries. How do you think the Visegrad concept settles in now? Um, and, um, and if you'd like to comment on the Polish elections in particular, we'd welcome I- that as well. At the end I
1: think nothing has changed okay there is some kind of mythology around Visegrad so Visegrad is uh, it's four countries neighbors which usually don't agree uh, on most of the things, uh, so then do agree. Uh, f, uh, because we have different uh, agriculture and different energy needs uh, f, uh, and uh, as Czechs we are landlocked as uh, uh, Slovaks and Hungarians, uh, unlike Poles. Uh, f, and as uh, Czechs we don't have any Schengen border, meaning border. Uh, f, uh, so now temporary, yes, but uh, but we are not on the front line. Uh, so uh, so unlike the others uh, are. So at the end, uh, uh, in the past, uh, in the last 30 years, uh, uh, there were only rare moments where all four Visegrad countries would vote together. But it's it's natural. It's nothing like unique, and it's nothing wrong. Uh, And it's a group of neighboring countries with similar but not a, not the same historical experience, uh, with a different geographical location. So, from U.S., it looks from the other side of globe. It looks like uh, it, it looks like the same. But at the end, uh, Russian ex- or Polish experience with Russia and Polish, uh, Poland having border with Russia, it's, it's completely different than our experience, or for example, or not completely, but very different than our experience and historical experience than the Hungarian experience, which is much more closer, and Hungary much more closer to the Balkans. So, so uh, we have to take it as it is, and we have to keep Visegrad as a, uh, as a platform of uh, neighbors talking to each other, and it's always good that neighbors who are at the same time allies uh, in EU and in NATO etc that they talk to each other uh, uh, and that we don't lose the big picture and who are the major challenges uh, and challenges to to us Uh, and so from that point of view I don't think that much is going to happen you will see different rhetoric you will see different rhetoric from Slovakia you will after the elections you will see different rhetoric from from Poland Mm -hmm. Uh, but in substance I don't think you will see that many changes uh, uh, and uh, I I don't think that you will see that much unique uh, language from those countries, or from Slovakia and uh, and from Poland, uh, compared to others in Europe. And I don't mean only in Central
0: or or, or Eastern uh, or, or or Eastern Europe. Yeah, we recently on our podcast Counterbalance, my colleague Mike Duran and I interviewed your deputy chief of mission here, um, Jan Haverneck. Uh, it'll be appearing in a future episode, but. One point we took away from that was not to group all the countries of Central and Eastern Europe into one bucket, which sometimes from the distance of Washington across the Atlantic. Where we were always
1: part Europe. of the Holy Roman Empire, okay? So we are not Eastern <laughs> Europe, okay? So I think let's get it straight. Right. The Czechs and Bohemia has been always part of Western Europe. Right. So, uh, and we can say, okay, there were, uh, during the time of the Cold War, it was divided. East, West and uh, and we were on the Eastern side uh, so, uh, f- and then for 20 years occupied by Soviets and by Soviet army directly but otherwise uh, we are part of Western Europe so we are saying here in Washington don't put us only to this B9 or something some like that uh, so, uh, look at us also as you are looking at, at the Danes and Dutch and other neighbors of yeah. Germany okay so, so because this is our and in reality and if you look politically and if you look economically and if you you look historically, then there we are much more in this this uh, Central European concept than in Eastern Europe or then God forbid in the Balkans.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well. Uh, Considering I have an Austrian mother, she's nodding along furiously uh, to your references. Yeah, Vienna is east of Prague, okay? So So you are East European. That was gonna be my next point, yeah. Um, I'm gonna ask you one more question and then I'd like to just open to two audience questions, Luke Coffey and Matt Boyce, um, if we could prepare the microphones for that. And my last question before we go to those two um, to close us out is um, this week we're we're privileged to host Ursula von der Leyen um, unless the president's schedule ends up canceling her trip, but I'm optimistic that won't happen. And she has spoken about a geopolitical European commission and the European uh, Commission and the European Union becoming a greater actor in foreign and security policy. Could you just comment on that and how you see that um, from uh, the point of view of Prague?
1: I think it's great when we were together. I think the unity which we have shown European unity, or EU unity, which we have shown during the uh, uh, Ukraine, uh, Russian invasion of Ukraine, and uh, I hope that it's going to be similar, hard to achieve, but similar unity regarding uh, uh, the situation in the Middle East uh, and uh, uh, aftermaths of those uh, barbaric uh, terrorist attacks of Hamas. Uh, uh, so that's there, and we have to... Keep, we have to work on it and uh, and it's uh, uh, it's a must at the same time i'm more from the traditional school of uh, conducting of foreign policy and so, so you can if you have, can have successful policy foreign policy if you can if it can be supported by your economy and by your army okay so eu has uh, good economy it's one of the largest economic blocks so the eu foreign policy can uh, can uh, uh, really be beefed up by the economy. If, uh, but and an, an the army like the uh, But, uh, <coughs> but uh, there is no army and there will not be army and uh, and, and you cannot uh, give anyone security guarantees. You cannot threaten anyone. Uh, so by that you have uh, if your foreign policy is and will be by definition limited. Uh, and again, it's not bad. Uh, so, but we have to realistically look at it and we have to look uh, to other tools and uh, for us, uh, Czechs uh, and for many other Europeans, uh, the transatlantic bond is completely crucial. Uh, so if we should uh, nurture the transatlantic bond. We should invest ourselves. We must invest ourselves uh, uh, into this transatlantic bond and also into our defence capabilities. But uh, uh, but uh, we hope that uh, that uh, US will still see it as very important, uh, uh, even in the face of. Pivot to Asia, or how you name it, uh, but uh, but that it uh, makes sense, and if there are some troubles in. In, uh, if, uh, on the other side of globe, again, there will be value in this transatlantic unity and it, that uh, the type of cooperation, be it on the defense issues, intelligence issues, as well as economically and technologically. So we have to, uh, the, we are a solid block, and American economy is also solidly large. But technologically, to compete in the world, uh, we have to, we have to keep this transatlantic link uh, together, and then work with other partners like. Uh, Japan, South Korea, and uh, Australia, and, uh, and others, uh, f, uh, to be strong and to be mm-hmm. competitive and to, be, to have this technological edge and not lose it.
0: Great. Luke Coffey, the floor is yours.
1: Thanks. Hi. Luke Coffey, senior fellow here at Hudson. Thanks for coming here today to talk about these issues. I want to swing it back to NATO. We're now about 100 days since the most recent summit in June. We're all focused on the 75th anniversary summit here in Washington DC scheduled for next year. What are the big challenges and obstacles uh, we have to overcome between now and the next summit to make sure that that next summit here in Washington is a success? Thanks. There will be a lot of discussion about Ukraine. uh, So we have to really work together on practically supporting Ukraine, but also getting Ukraine closer to us and and solving the issue of the the Ukrainian path to membership in NATO. Uh, 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 And that's gonna be most likely on the table here. And uh, we have to really really, uh, do our homework and continue with uh, uh, defense spending and with, uh, with building up our capabilities and working together. Uh, I've mentioned F-35s and uh, helicopters uh, f- as a great cooperation with between the US and, and Czech Republic. But uh, uh, but we have a great cooperation and we want to expand it now on the uh, tank fleet with Germany. Yes, uh, we have right. sent our tanks to Ukraine. We have received as a backfilling some uh, Leopard A4 tanks from Germany. We will invest into the new tanks, uh, so we will have a new Leopard. A-4 and A-8 fleet, uh, which will uh, give us capability, but which will give us a a lot of... uh, Potential for uh, cooperation and training uh, and deployment, not only with Germans uh, but with others who are operating low part tanks. So, so uh, f, uh, we have to we have to focus on that, uh, and I think there is another task that we have to uh, we have to really uh, focus on and support and do as much as possible for the private business to beef up pro- beef up defense production. Uh, And uh, it's not always easy. Uh, uh, The bigger the corporations are, the harder it is to move them. Uh, 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 But uh, I really hope that uh, that, the defense industry uh, would use uh, the opportunity, as many of them are doing, but that all of that, and that we will have uh, uh, a more robust and better defense industry, uh, more competitive globally uh, than we have now and uh, really able to supply what we need uh, now and what we need uh, into the future. So I think that there is going to be a lot of discussion, not only about uh, spending uh, and building up the capabilities, but a lot of discussions about the the industrial base, uh, which is... uh, Equally important, uh, and where we see that uh, some improvements uh, that the laziness of the past thirty years uh, f- uh, f- that we have to overcome uh, some some uh, f- uh, some issues out of it. Uh. Uh, but it's still too far. Okay, it's, it's hundred years from the last summit. It's a lot of hundred uh, days from the last summit. Uh, a lot of many months from the next summit here in here in here in Washington. Uh, but you had the uh,
0: Holy Roman Empire on the mind. Yes, exactly, exactly.
1: So, <laughs> Mr. Boyce. You were, you were sort of more on the, on, the, on the mode of not much will change um, with, those, with the changes of government there. Um, some of the tone coming out of uh, Slovakia is, is rather different in some important areas. And, and of course, the tone will change in, in Poland as well. Uh, and, and just wondering whether you could maybe expand on your remarks a little bit more about where you think those countries will go, not just within the uh,
0: format, but also more broadly. And then if I could also drill down also on your
1: initial comments on, on, on Syria on, um, on the Middle East um, since you are there are we don't often thank you enough for being our protecting power in Syria and you've got very sophisticated uh, observations about about your relationships with the, with the, about the, the Middle East region so if you maybe expand a bit more on where you think that might be going um, in the next you know weeks and, I mean, thank you um. It's a little bit uh, difficult for me to uh, uh, comment openly on uh, uh, the situation and on the election results and what I think will be there as the rhetoric or as uh, as the concrete deeds of, uh, regarding Slovakia and Poland since they are our neighbors okay so it's uh, so I'm not in very comfortable situation but uh, the, so you will see different rhetoric as, uh, 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 not. Uh, 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 different rhetoric from Slovakia in terms of questioning sanctions regarding Russia, in terms of questioning supplies of arms to Ukraine, uh, uh, in terms of energy supplies. uh, But at the end, I think you will see a lot of pragmatic politics from, from, from Slovakia regarding EU and regarding NATO, Let's see and let's wait. But we got messages from Prime Minister designate Fico that uh, that he will uh, be solid member of NATO and partner of NATO, and Slovakia will stay there as uh, as well as uh, as well as pragmatic uh, member of the EU. You will see a lot of rhetoric and hear a lot of rhetoric uh, regarding migration, uh, but there is not. It's not going to be that much new. It's going to be more strong than the previous Slovak government or outgoing Slovak government. But uh, at the end, migration was an issue, and, and it's been, it has been discussed. And Poland, Poland has been always very solid, strong NATO member and uh, and transatlantic partner. So there, I had no doubts that regardless of results of the elections, there will be solid, uh, Western-oriented uh, Polish government. Uh, 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 you will see more uh, uh, or more pro-EU rhetoric as, uh, uh, from Warsaw uh, than of, of, uh, more confrontational rhetoric of, uh, uh, from the from the existing government. Uh, uh, but in reality, uh, uh, not that much. I think will change. And what is uh, going to be crucial for us and for all of us is. Uh, how the relations between Poland and Ukraine will go? Uh, so there, of course, the effects of the elections had its mark uh, on this, uh, the relations. Uh, uh, but uh, there, I think that it will go back to uh, not, not maybe back to. Uh, uh, a year ago uh, of, the, uh, of the, how friendly and warm the relations were and how, how only friendly comments were there from Warsaw regarding Ukraine. But, uh, but it will go solidly back and uh, out of the electoral campaign rhetoric uh, and, uh, and Poland will be uh, f- uh, clearly key uh, partner in uh, supporting Ukraine in the, in the future. Uh, but the here is uh, the same. The enemies do unite and there mm-hmm. Mr. Putin unites and it will at the end uh, 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 unite uh, uh, Poland with Ukraine as, uh, 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 more. But I understand their relations are... Um, Long term, uh, uh, historically complicated, uh, uh, and you cannot escape history, so they have to talk openly about it as well. Uh, so there we have some advantage. Of, uh, we are far from Ukraine, and we have never been neighbor, neighbors of Ukraine and we can only claim some part of Ukraine to get back, uh, but uh, we will not do it. So <laughs> it's already forgotten, and it's a it's a, it's a, it's a history. And there is a there is Slovakia in between us and, and Transcarpathia. On the uh, on the Middle East, uh, f, uh, uh, it's a lot about Iran. Okay? So it's Khamenei who will decide if Hezbollah is g- going to join the fight or not. And I must really salute uh, the US uh, decision uh, of the administration to send the aircraft carriers uh, as a clear message, uh, not to Hamas, but uh, to Hezbollah and to Iran. Uh, and I think that those messages have to be strong, and we should support them from Europe, especially the key European countries, uh, key European not only economies, but those who have uh, uh, some defense capabilities, and uh, and that they should uh, be in line with U.S. with that uh, uh, messaging. Of, uh, and I hope that uh, Iranians will not join the fight, uh, but uh, uh, I cannot rule it out, and we will see. Uh, the situation is completely dangerous. I don't think that the decision has been made yet. Uh, if, uh, it will also depend on the developments on the ground, and uh, and uh, and, it, and and there may be surprises for everyone, uh, so even for those who would conduct something, but uh, they do not know what will be out of it, and they have not decided to conduct <coughs> something. So let's uh, let's see. And we have uh, Czechs uh, uh, going back to Czechoslovakia. We've had. Uh, 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 global relationships, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and we have had from the communist times uh, f- embassies in many many countries of the Middle East, and we have had always uh, uh, Middle Eastern uh, politics uh, or views and uh, and policy. Uh, f- uh, f- but in the last thirty years, always having strong times ties with Israel and with key Arab countries, uh, f- uh, uh, and we hope that. Uh, Pragmatically, uh, it will go for long-term relationship there um, uh, based on pragmatic views and pragmatism rather than on revolutionary ideas. Uh, but uh, 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 but again, let, let's see what's going to be the outcome. And the, the fact that we are representing U.S. in, in Syria, uh, yes, we are there and we will be there. Uh, if, uh, uh, at the same time, I wouldn't expect from, you, uh, from us... Uh, Uh, any major peace initiatives Uh, 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 i think there is uh, uh, we are not enthusiasts in making peace initiatives so we will not see any proposals and i think we understand what our size is and what our value is and uh, how we can contribute so we can hopefully modestly contribute uh, in the right direction but uh, 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 but uh, uh, if, uh, we are mid-sized country. We are not small, but we are not the key players. And we will not be key players in the Middle East. So uh, let's work. Uh, we are ready always and everywhere to work with our partners. And we are ready to openly talk uh, to our challengers. And, uh, and, uh, and maybe by this we will a little bit contribute to uh, the world, which is going to be a little bit better than uh, what it could have been.
0: Let's hope so. Uh, Mr. Ambassador, thanks for bringing this opportunity to us. Tomasz Boyar, National Security Advisor of the Western European country of the Czech (laughs) Republic. Uh, Thanks for that tour de force. And thanks to all of you at home for tuning in. Please tune in for more of our work uh, on the crisis in the Middle East, on the war in Ukraine, at Hudson.org. We look forward to seeing you at future events. And uh, please take a read through our website of all of our scholarship and work that we have on there. Thanks so much, and thanks again for joining us. Thank you for having me. It's always a pleasure to be here. Thanks.